0: Amen. We're gonna we're gonna jump into it just like Jeremy said. We're gonna have a worship night tonight where we want to go in uh, a a little bit deeper into God's presence, man. We cannot live without the presence of God in our lives. And I, I've been I've been preaching a a series of messages here for the past few weeks called First Things. And you remember, you know, the first week we talked about grief because this has been a year that we said if we're going to move forward into the next year, we've got to grieve some of our losses because we've had some we've had some difficult times. And, of course, we talked about prayer. We talked about fasting. We talked about devotion to God and and several different things. And then last week we talked about the word of God. And and I heard some people they went out and bought a Bible, which we gave a few Bibles away last week. Everybody everybody got their Bible this week. Praise the Lord. It's a good thing to have. Amen taking notes. Listen, if y'all take notes, take a picture of them, put it, send it to us on our Instagram page or something. Take notes for somebody to read what's going on out there. But uh, but listen, we're just glad that you guys are here this morning. This morning, I'm going to preach a special message It's going to kind of preface what we're going to go into tonight. And I believe it's a very important first thing. And that is worship and presence. Worship and presence. So can we just start out by, by praying a little bit, if you will, just right there at your seat while you're seated, just, seated, just relax a minute and, and just lift your hands to the Lord just for a second right there where you're at. Yeah, just close your eyes. Just wait on the Lord in, in, the, in the silence. Lord, we come to you this morning and we give you our worship. We give you our praise. We give you our glory. Lord, it's all for you. And so we ask you, God just to come right now to speak to us. We surrender our hearts. We give you full permission this morning. And Lord, we just love you. And we know that you love us, so we receive that love this morning. And we pray, God, that your presence would come, that you'd speak to every heart. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to, do, I want to say one more thing. Is somebody, is Mimi in here right now, Jim? Is she even in here? Where's she at? There's Mimi. She's 60 today, praise God. Sweet 60. Amen. It's a beautiful thing. Be 60 and look 17 like that, maybe. I mean, it, you know what I'm talking about? That's serious. Jim, you did well, buddy. Amen. So we'll get into this. We're going to talk about worship and presence. So worship and, and, and the presence of God. Uh, you know, people, people think about this differently. I, when I first understood a little bit more about worship, honestly, I was in college and, and y'all know, some of y'all know my story, my background. I come, I was, I was bound up in, in drugs and addiction and a few different things. I had struggles just like everybody else did. I had some, I had some struggles I, uh, and, and I liked to party a lot. But I got in this pursuit of God. I started seeking the Lord. And I remember I was taking a class in, in, in college. It was an anthropology class. We were studying religions of the world and all of these things. And at this time in my life, I'm just now starting to read the Bible. And I remember reading in there that the scripture talks about how God will come and live in his people and dwell in his people. And I thought, man, that's a strange concept. We're talking about God coming and living in a human being. And I remember reading that and that was fascinating to me because I didn't really understand how God comes and lives in a human being. I remember going uh, to this class and they played this video of these tribal religions. And these guys were doing all these crazy dances and they taught us that while these guys were doing these crazy dances, they were invoking spirits. I thought that's a little bit scary. I mean, you know, you probably make a scary movie about that a little bit, right? They're, they're invoking these spirits and something would happen while they're in this. What are they doing? Now, it, it may, we would argue maybe as Christians that this is false worship, obviously, if they're worshiping another God than the one true God. But here's the point behind it is what you worship ultimately comes inside of you. What you give your life to ultimately comes inside of you. And I learned that in that moment. And I remember somewhere around that same time I went to a Pentecostal church. Y'all ever been right? And I'm talking about like a real Pentecostal church. Y'all know I'm Pentecostal, but I'm talking about like a real Pentecostal church. Like we get every now and then we get in here and we're kind of like, praise the Lord. And I was in there, son, you know, I'm talking about like pulling them moves. And I thought, boys, they're invoking the spirit in here this morning. Hey, they got it going on. But what I came to realize was that a physical response in obedience to the Lord. There's always been a principle. Human beings were designed to be indwelt by God. They were designed to be indwelt by God. And so when we come in here and we lift our hands in worship and we start to sing and maybe we even dance and move a little bit before the Lord, this is not something that we came up with, folks. This is God's design from the beginning. He taught us how to come into a place of worship because you were designed to be filled with a Spirit. But the only Spirit you were designed to be filled with was the Holy Spirit of God. Any other spirit, God doesn't desire for you to live, but it's all a question of worship. What do you worship? Where is your, where is your heart at? And see, we're, we're learning as a church right now, I believe, to minister to God. Because here's the thing, I'm not about flesh. Sometimes, you know, in worship you can get in the flesh, and that's when people just do crazy stuff, and it's distracting, and it gets your eyes off of Jesus and on them. Can I tell you that, mu- that, that, that worship is not even about music? It's not a genre of music. People talk about worship and say, well, you know, that's worship music. That's, That's a genre of music. Worship is not just a genre of music. Worship is a posture of your heart toward God. Worship is not about you singing a song. It's not about the music you listen to. Worship is about the position of your heart toward the living God. And so God is trying to bring us into this place. And here's one of the things I believe that Scripture teaches is that our worship is ultimately an overflow. Our ministry to God and for God is ultimately an overflow of God's ministry to us. We love because He first loved us. Let me tell you something. Jesus loves you all this morning. If there's one thing that you take away this morning, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And I think a lot of times, especially in ministry in southeastern Kentucky here, we get into a religious mode where we want to do and do and do for God. And we get burnt out in our religious duties and we become the crankiest Christian people in the world. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We live in a community where a lot of times the Christian people are the crankiest. Why are they so cranky? Because they pour out and they pour out and they do for God and they never stop to receive the love of God. Worship begins in a place where you first receive the, word, the, the, the ministry of God to you, what Jesus has done for you, and then it starts to overflow. And you're not trying to push something out of you that's not in you. A lot of people, you come in here and you begin to try to worship the Lord and you're thinking, this is weird. And a lot of times the reason it's not flowing out of you is because you've not yet received the love of God for yourself. And more than anything this morning, what you need to do is open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I need to receive your love this morning. I need you to minister to me. I need to receive what you did for me. See, before Jesus ever sent his disciples out in ministry, he ministered to them. He knelt down. He washed their feet. Before he sent them out, he cooked them breakfast. You know, that's the kind of Jesus that we serve. He cooked them breakfast, had them fish prepared, said, boys, come out on, off the boat here. I got you a lot of fish. And he fed them breakfast. He wasn't waiting to be served. He served them. And so my first point in this message is, is that life begins in the presence of God. In the beginning, when God started this whole thing, life began in God's presence. But let me tell you something. When your new life begins in Christ, it begins in the presence of God where you have an encounter with the living God. It's not just because you heard a sermon and you said a prayer. It's because all of a sudden you have an encounter with the living God and in His presence, there's a new birth on the inside of you and you become a new creation in Jesus Christ. The presence of God is what life is all about. I remember I used to love drugs and alcohol and partying some, but when I got a hold of the presence presence of God, those things lost their appeal to me because they were not near as good. But see, the problem is is we have a religion where we think that, no, I need something to give me some fun because, because, because church is boring and it's dry. It's not dry and it's not boring if you do it the way God prescribed it. If you do it the way that God said do it, the Spirit of God will come into this place and you will experience joy, you will experience freedom, you will experience peace, and you will say to yourself, I had no idea why didn't somebody tell me this was going on. That's what I thought whenever I finally found Jesus. I said, why didn't somebody tell me it was like this? Why didn't somebody tell me it was this good? Why didn't somebody tell me it wasn't about a bunch of soured, pruned up people that go around telling people to read their Bibles. You know, like, I mean, that, that's the picture that people have of us Christians, man. And I'm thinking that is the furthest thing from the truth. We're the, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're the most joyful, happy, excited, celebrating person in the world because you know what Jesus has done for you. And when you come to church, you're not just going to sit in a corner like a dried up prune. You're going to get excited because the Lord's in the house. And listen, he's not looking up there angry and upset. He's looking up there ready for, ready for you to get in this party with him, ready for you to get involved in this worship with him. That's what he wants. But life begins in God's presence in the beginning. I want you to imagine this. When God created man, it says that God said, let us make man in our own image and according to our likeness. And what it says is it says that he, after he made us, he blessed us. And that word for blessed is a very specific word. It's the word Barak. And it means that He knelt down and He adored us. He knelt down in the dirt. He created us. He formed us out of the dust of the earth. And He looked uh, looked us in the eyes and He breathed the breath of life into us. And the first thing that Adam saw, the first thing that Adam saw when he awoke was he saw the face of God who loved him. And God made him for that intimate communion, that intimate relationship. You were made For Jesus, you were made for an intimate relationship and a communion with God. And Adam, the first man, he walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. It literally means that he walked with him in the spirit. They had open lines of communication day in and day out. He was communing with God. God was communing with him. And he was doing what God had called him to do in the earth because of that relationship and because of that communion. And because of his relationship with God, he had authority on the earth to say, this doesn't come in, this stays this way. And then the same way, when you have communion with God, guess what, in your own life you can say, none of that here, Satan. We've got authority in this realm. But see, the serpent comes in in the middle of this communion, in the middle of this worship to God. And he comes, I want you to understand this, folks. Right now in our world, Satan is still doing what he's always done from the beginning. Satan comes to interrupt worship. He comes to interrupt your worship of God. He wants to distract you with anything that he possibly can to get your attention off the one who deserves your attention and get it on every other thing in your, in your life. And all of a sudden, anxiety creeps in. Fear creeps in. Depression creeps in. All of these things begin to creep in. Then you turn to sin because you're looking for something to fulfill the desires that you're now missing. And you don't realize that the reason you're desiring these things is because you've got a God-shaped hole in your heart. You've stopped worshiping God. God, and and, and Satan comes and he speaks to us until he deals with us on the issue of worship. And another voice enters all of a sudden into our lives. Oswald Chambers said this. He said that the root of all evil is the suspicion that God is not good. And right now people are going through hard times. And evil begins when all of a sudden there's a lie, there's a voice that comes into your heart that says, did God really say that? Does God really have your best intentions in mind? If God really loved you, wouldn't this have happened that way? And all of a sudden these thoughts come into your heart. You say, if, if God really cared about me, why am I where I am now? Well, there's a whole lot of answers that we could get into that we don't have time on. We, we've got free will. We've got all these things we've done. But let me tell you this. God saw us, every single one of us, in our broken condition. And we chose those things. We are all like sheep that have gone astray. But see, Jesus, God loved us so much that it says that even while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the righteous. He didn't die for the holy. He didn't die for the person that comes to church every Sunday. He died for the one that had no heart for him, that was in his ungodliness, that was in his brokenness, that was in his shame, and said, that's the one that I'm after. That's the one that I'm coming after. And that's God's heart toward us. And here's the second point that you need to understand is that sin, shame, and accusation causes us to hide from the presence of God. Have you ever hid from the presence of God? I know a lot of people do. You know, I, I, you'll invite people to church in Clay County and they say, boys, I can't come to church. If I come, the walls would cave in. Somebody probably even said that in here, right? They, you can't invite nobody here because they, one, they're either already saved in Clay County or two, if they came, the walls would fall in. I said, boys, I tell you, I promise you the walls won't fall in because we built it I was there when it happened. Like it's pretty sturdy structure. But two, I'm there and the walls haven't fell in yet because I'm just deserving of the walls fall in or falling in as you are. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God demonstrates His love. He says, I want you back into my presence. I died for you. I don't care what you've done. I love you that much. I'm after you. But the problem is, it's not God that has separated Himself from you. It is us that have separated our hearts from God because of sin, because of shame, because of accusation. And when people come into church, man, let it never be said about our church that when people come in, they feel they feel like they just, well, I, I don't know. I feel judged. I feel this. I feel that. A lot of times, let me tell you this, people feel judged in their own hearts. I promise you, I stand up here and I don't judge you. I know where I was. I know when when God picked me up out of my vomit and saved my soul and lifted me up and changed my heart. So there's no judgment from me. But a lot of times we come into a place like this and we already sense that condemnation in our heart. There's a voice telling us God doesn't accept you. God doesn't love you. Look at what you've done. And all of a sudden, what do we do? We hide ourselves from the presence of God. We don't want to come into that place where God starts to speak to us. And God's voice is in his presence. And this is why Satan constantly speaks. I guarantee you this morning that a lot of people in here, as you were on your way to church, you were hearing the voice of the enemy trying to get you distracted. Maybe even telling you, I don't need to go there. I mean, look at, look at the things you've done. Look at the things you've thought about. Look at at all this. And that voice comes in there. And all of a sudden they find themselves hiding from the presence of God. Here's what it says in Genesis 3.8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So here's my question to you. What is keeping you from God's presence? What's keeping you from entering in? Because right now, Jesus has done something where there should be no hindrance for you to come into God's presence. Point number three is the blood of Jesus has given us access back into God's presence. You no longer have to hide any longer because when you come into God's presence, you're not going to find him angry. You're not going to find him upset. You are going to find him saying, look, I know that you're a sinner. I know you've messed up, but I've provided a way that you can be forgiven of your sins and you can come into my presence and I hold nothing against you any longer. Everything is washed clean and you can come into my presence and freely worship because now you've been reunited to me in love. That's what God wants us to know, that the blood of Jesus has done a work. And on the cross, Jesus became your sin. That which separated us from God, Jesus entered into it. He became it so that you would never have to be separated from God ever again. He became our shame and every right that Satan had to accuse us on the cross. Let me tell you this. See, you think, well, but you don't know what I've done, Clay. God has a right to judge me. He has a right to punish me. And you are absolutely right. He does have a right to judge you and he does have a right to punish you. And he will judge you in the end. But let me tell you something. If you receive Jesus as your Lord, he has become your substitute. That means that all of the judgment was poured out on Him so that when you put faith in Christ, there's a divine exchange. And when you see God in His presence, even if you did the most atrocious thing you could ever dream of yesterday, you have been cleansed, you have been justified. And He says, I can no longer judge you for that sin. I can no longer punish you for that sin because I punished my son Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's already been paid for. Is that not good news, you all? I know this is simple gospel just to begin this message, but you got to understand that the way to worship and the way to the presence of God is understanding who God is, how much He loves you, and what He's done for you on the cross. And because you're cleansed by the blood, you can now come freely into the presence of God. In the Old Testament, they couldn't come into the presence of God anytime they wanted to. Now, for some of you, I, you know, everybody senses it different. I mean, human hearts are different. Literally one person in this room could be encountering the presence of God. It could shatter them. They could weep. And then somebody in the back say, boys, it's, I don't, this is weird. This is the strangest thing ever. You know, y'all have been in a, I've been in services. I remember when I first came to a church service, I was scared to death, son. But there was a woman sat beside me. She was breaking down. I wasn't feeling nothing. I was looking at everybody like this. But I saw that God was meeting her and I thought to myself, God, why, why am I not experiencing this? And I remember, I saw people lifting their hands. I remember for the first time me saying, you know what, I'm going to test this out. I kind of looked around a little bit. <laughs> Tested it, you know. so Okay, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. You, y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever been in that position? You're like, you're trying to move into this because you, you you start to recognize maybe there is something spiritual behind this. Maybe there's something different that I don't know about and I'm trying to move in because if there is a God, I want to do what He's asking me to do. If there is a God, I want to encounter Him. I want to experience Him. Whatever He prescribes, I want to do it. If it's written in Scripture, if He says lift up holy hands, then I want to lift up holy hands because I believe something's going to happen when that takes place. But see, we have access into God's presence. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 says this, Have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil of His flesh. See, do you realize in the Old Testament, just like I said, they could en- nobody could enter into the presence of God. If you entered into the presence of God, you would die. And so one time a year, the high priest would go into the place called the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And when he would go in, he would offer up the sacrifice of the blood of the Lamb, representative of Christ, and the glory of God, the presence of God would come down in that place. And he would meet them at the mercy seat at the Ark of the Covenant. Now, rabbinic literature says that they would tie a rope around this guy's foot so that if he went in there and his heart wasn't right, and for some reason or another he died, they could drag his hind in out of there. You know what I'm talking about? Because he fell over in the presence of God and died. See, there's an old way, and the old way is you can't come into the presence of God because you're a sinner. But Jesus, because of His blood, it says He's made a new and living way, and the worst of sinners can come boldly into the presence of God. Confess Jesus, and here's the thing you say, but man, I'm still struggling with sin. I'm still dealing with some stuff. He's, he, what God is saying is don't wait to come into the presence of God. Keep coming into the presence of God, and the more you come, the more you will live. The more you come. If you're struggling right now, I'm telling you, you need to come tonight. You need to worship God. You need to throw your hands up and you need to lay all your sin at the feet of Jesus and come into the presence boldly. Why? Because Jesus' blood has made a way for you to be there. Number four, in Christ, see, we don't just have access now into the presence of God. We become hosts of the presence of God. We host the presence of God. See, I don't know about you, but if you're a believer, I brought the presence of God with me in here this morning. I believe that by faith Jesus Christ dwells in my heart. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit and we corporately are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we meet together, guess what? God is in our midst. God is here. God is here. But the question is, do we recognize it? When we talk about God's presence, do we live with just a concept or do we live with an actual experience? Think about that. Because we can talk about the presence of God all we want but have you experienced the presence of God? Do you live in and from the presence of God? I I don't want to just hear about it. I don't just want doctrine as great as doctrine is. I don't want just head knowledge about God. Every time that I open the Word of God, I don't want to just learn more so that I can get up here and spit more knowledge out. I want to know Jesus. When I open my Bible, my Bible is not just so I can get more ammunition to debate somebody. Somebody amen me on that. I mean, I feel like a lot of preachers and people nowadays, they just want to study their Bible so they can get more ammunition to debate. I'm not here to debate you this morning. Talk about whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. I don't care. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Is he primary in your life? Is he first? This, these are the things that matter, folks. And I don't want to just live with a concept. I want to live with an experience of knowing and worshiping Jesus Christ as He is. Here's what it says in Psalm 68, 1. I love this. Let God arise. Somebody say that. Let God arise. Amen. And let His enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate Him flee before Him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying in our choice to worship God, we are allowing God to arise. And when God arises, the enemies of addiction, the enemies of fear, sickness and disease, all of these things begin to scatter. Why? Because the presence of God comes down in our worship and all of a sudden those enemies begin to melt like wax at the presence of God. Man, I remember, being, I remember being in addiction and being in all kinds of different things. And, and I didn't know much about worship, but, but I had a little dog named Samson. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and we went out. I lived in Lexington at the time. I hadn't known anything about worship, but I went out into this field where nobody was. And I was out in that field, son, and I'd walk around and I'd pray. And every now and then I'd just lift my hands up to the Lord and I'd thank the Lord. And I'd say, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, but I worship you. I worship you. I'd kneel down on my knees in that field. And I, saw, and I kid you not, over that season of my life, chains begin to break. Why? I was letting God arise in my life. I was letting his enemies be scattered. The presence of God was being activated in my life because I was giving myself to him, spirit, soul, and body. And as I was, these things begin to break. The presence of God came in and they begin to melt like wax in his presence. I'm telling you, when the presence of God shows up, folks, if we, we get to we can get to a place in worship corporately. Where when we come in here on a Sunday morning, God comes and God meets us. And the sick are healed and people are restored and people are set free and people are saved just because God is in the room. It's not about what I preach. It's not about what we sing. It's not about even how well we do it. It's about whether or not God's in the room. And God comes in the room when people worship Him in spirit and in truth. See, because it's not about listening to how good our worship team is, even is it? It's not at all. Right now, I believe there's a movement in our world where people actually worship worship. They listen to how good these musicians are and these different churches that just do it so well. And they begin to worship the people who sing the songs rather than the Jesus who gave them the song. All that we sing, all that we do, the messages that we preach, they've got to point us to Jesus or they're no good. They've got to bring us into a deeper relationship with Jesus or they're no good. We can leave today and we can say, like, as I can leave today, I'm going to tell our worship pastor, I'm going to say, Justin, buddy, you did good today because it was amazing. But at the end of the day, it's not even about how good he does, is it? And he knows that. He and I talk about this. Our goal when we put music out and we put it, we want people to come into the presence of God. We want worship to be manifested in this place. And see, Jesus, he was a carrier of God's presence. Bible says he was filled with the spirit without measure. You imagine that? I'm filled with probably just a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Like, hey, you give me about two ounces to put it in. You're doing all right, you know. There's a lot of clay still here, boys. We got to get him out of the way. You know what I'm talking about? I want more of the presence of God. I want to carry the presence of God where I go into the church or in my home. I want that to be the place where God's presence dwells. But the problem is in our life is that we live in a world where the devil loves to magnify himself. Right now, this year, man, the coronavirus has been the most magnified thing in all the world throughout the globe. And it's demonic in nature how magnified it's been. It's demonic in nature what it's done to people's lives. It's evil. It's not, somebody said, well, that that thing's from God. Let me tell you something. When When we turn our backs on God, God hands us over to certain things. God says, here you go. That's what the wrath of God is in Scripture. When you say, you know what, we're going to trust this, we're going to trust that, we don't need God, He hands us over and we see it play out in our lives. But can I tell you that sin, sickness, disease, and death is not from God? When Jesus comes, He demonstrates that those are the things that He defeats, those are the things that He conquers. But God in His sovereign plan, when He sees us and we are no longer serving Him, He says, if that's how you all want it, I will lift my hands. That's fine. You want to live without me? You want to experience life without me? There you go. You can have it. And we begin to experience these things, but I'm telling you just as soon as we come to our senses and turn our heart back to the Father and run back, He says, I'm ready to receive you. I'm ready to heal you. I'm ready to give you restoration. I'm ready to give you peace. And He brings us into that place. But see, the evil of this world is being magnified. This is why I believe Psalm 34.3 says this. It says, "Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Oh, magnify. Now, can you make God any bigger than He is? No, he's infinitely big and no matter what you do, you'll never make him any bigger. But the problem is, is that you all have come in here this morning... With sickness magnified, with fear magnified, with your finances magnified, with your future magnified. And Satan has magnified all these things as obstacles and mountains in your life. And let me tell you something. There comes a point when you've got to get tired enough of everything else that the devil's talking about to say, you know what, devil, you need to walk in here with me. Just take him by the hand. Say, will not you walk in here with me, devil, because I'm about to magnify the Lord up in your presence and up in your face until you can't take it anymore and you are driven out by the presence of God. Yeah, you can clap at that. See that, you, know, you understand that also in the presence of God, preaching is a corporate experience. You realize that too? It's not just me preaching to you and you sitting there. It's a corporate experience. We are all engaging in the Word of God right now. He's moving through me. He's moving through you. And you're connected with the Word. I'm connected with the Word. And ultimately, we're yielded to the Holy Spirit and what He would have to do right now. And so even that clap, see? I got a little golf clap right there. That's a part... That's an aspect of how the presence of God comes among the people. When He's moving through the people in unison, and we know to clap, we know to shout, we know to sing because we're in unison and we're in the presence of God. That's where God wants to take a body of believers where they know this is God, and even when something shows up that ain't God, everybody in the room knows it. Everybody in the room knows it. So that ain't the Lord there. That's weird. Yeah, That happens sometimes, right? But we're working to get there. And here, let me, let me tell you this, see, because we talk about the presence of the Lord, and somebody would say, well, Clay, ain't God's presence everywhere, man? I mean, you talk talking about the presence of the Lord as if it's something that, 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 that we're away from. He's everywhere. And so let me give you, you're right, He is everywhere. So let me give you four dimensions of God's presence. Four dimensions of God's presence. Number one, He's omnipresent. That means He is everywhere at all times. He's everywhere at all times. You cannot get away from him. In Colossians 1:17, it says he is before all things and in him all things consist and he holds all things together. Psalm 139 7 says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? He says, if I go into the heavens, you're there, Lord. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're going to be there. You can go nowhere from the ultimate presence of the Lord because he holds all things together. But see, there's another dimension of God's presence, and that is the indwelling presence. Because all of a sudden, you can be as lost as a ball in high weeds and not know the Lord. And all of a sudden, turn to Jesus, repent of your sin, put faith in Christ. And guess what? The Spirit of God comes. You are regenerated. You are born again by the Spirit of God. And all of a sudden, there's an indwelling presence of God. He lives inside of you. But now that the Spirit of God lives inside of you and He indwells there and you have an indwelling presence, you can move into the place because if you get born again, I've never known anybody to truly be born again by the Spirit of God who says, I'm not going to go and get myself involved in a local church. And if they do say that, odds are the indwelling presence isn't there because the Holy Spirit leads us to be with one another. The Holy Spirit leads us to unite with one another and we enter into corporate presence. What's that mean? Scripture in Matthew 18, Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered together, there I am in their midst. When I gather with two or three, there's a greater possibility and a greater potential. That's, that's why when we meet in small groups, let me tell you something, it's a place where the presence of God's gonna show up. He's gonna minister to people, He's gonna set people free. But then there's an even greater presence that when we gather together corporately, I was talking to Justin, and we were talking about worship, and he said, you know, one of the things that I wish people understood about worship is that Sunday morning is not something that you just, you work all week and you get empty and you're drier in cracker juice. I wanted to use that reference at least two or three times a day. (laughs) But but you're just dry as cracker juice, and you say, well, i got to go to church. i got to get filled up for the rest of the week. Justin said, what I wish people understood is that when we come together corporately, it's not a place for you to get refilled. It's a place that where we come together, we meet as an overflow because we've been in worship all week long. We've been so connected to God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night, we just decided to go in a little bit deeper so that when we come in on a Sunday morning, we are carrying the presence of God to the point that as soon as the first guitar is strummed, son, that all of a sudden we begin to pour out our worship and God shows up so that if there's a lost person in the house, you don't have to preach a word because they know God is in the place. They know God is in the place. And that's the place that we want to move as a church. We're talking about first things. We talked about your Bible, reading the Word of God, saying in the Word of God, prayer and fasting, these types of things. But if you can get in a place where daily, on Monday you worship, on Tuesday you worship, you kneel down before God. I was telling somebody this morning that last night I was, I was feeding my baby. I put her to bed for a little bit. And I, you know what I did? I put on some instrumental music. There wasn't even any lyrics. There's this dude named William Augusto, man. He's nice. He plays he play soaking worship music, he says, is what's called. It's eight hours. I just hit play on the eight-hour track. Like, I'm going to lay here for eight hours. <laughs> I hit play on that thing, and I laid face down on the floor. And as I laid face down on the floor, I began to sense the presence of God well up in my heart. Tears began to flow. I felt the love of God for me. He reminded me. He said, Clay, I love you, and I'm going to be with you tomorrow. And he started to show me, I talked to a couple of people. He started to show me people's faces. It's crazy because Ryan Gibson's here this morning. He showed me Ryan Gibson's face last night. I'm sitting there talking with the Lord. He, 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 his presence is there because I'm face down on the floor, kneeled down before my maker, saying, Lord, I want nothing but your presence. I want nothing but you. I can't do this without you. And he shows up and he meets with me and he begins to commune with me. And so many, what he did in his presence, he starts to show me faces of people. I start praying for you. I see several of you. That I start praying for you because in his presence, he's starting to share with me his heart. He's starting to share with me what's on his mind, what's on his heart. But see, then we come in, we come into number four, the manifest presence of God. Because when we come into this room, it says in Psalm 22, right? It says that, God, you are holy. You are holy and you inhabit yourself in the praises of your people. Or you enthrone yourself in the praises of your people. What that means is, yes, God is everywhere, but when we worship together corporately, all of a sudden, He says, you know what? I hear praise down there. I think I will go and I will enthrone myself in that praise. That's where God likes to live. When you start to sing on Sunday, and I want you to pay attention to that, because the song is not for you. It's not about, well, I like that song. I like it when so-and-so sings. It's not about you, because as soon as it becomes about you, it's no longer worship. This song is about Jesus. And when you come in here and you begin to sing, I love the fact that when I open my mouth and I begin to sing praise to God, guess what? He's going to come and he's going to dwell in it. And if you will pay attention, if you've never sensed it, begin begin to actually tune your heart to sense it. Say, Lord, I'm going to sing and I want to sense your presence this morning. I want to feel you at work. I want to sense you moving. And he will begin to honor that request because that's what he's doing. But see, he is inviting us into greater levels of the manifested presence of God. Do you agree with that? I would, how many want more? I want more of Jesus. If some of y'all, you come in here, you're new, you know, you're know, you on the fence, and you're thinking, "Boy, this dude up here is crazy. He's got weird glasses on. He's a preacher wearing a hoodie. Should have a suit on. How's the presence of the Lord going to show up if you don't have a suit on? It's not even about your suit. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. And God's inviting us into greater levels of manifested presence in the Old Testament. See, we're talking about Old Testament principles, not even what's possible in the New Testament, because in the Old Testament, in Exodus, Moses would go up and it said that he would meet with God as a man meets with his friend face to face. And when he would go into the tabernacle, in rabbinic literature, they called it the Shekinah glory of God. Y'all ever somebody say Shekinah? Right? Man, you guys are educated now. They called it the Shekinah. Shekinah meant the dwelling or the settling. What they said was, is that when true worship was going on, the divine presence would settle. And they'd be in the tabernacle and Moses would be in the tabernacle with God. And all of a sudden, the glory of God would fill the tabernacle and there would be a manifested presence there. You see this in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, when he's called to serve the Lord, he has an encounter. He's just going through the motions of his temple worship the same way we go through the motions every Sunday, three songs and a sermon. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, God's glory fills the temple. And when it fills the temple, he says, Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of of unclean lips. And he sees the glory of God, and he falls down on his face, and all of a sudden God begins to purge his soul. Because you could come in here with all kinds of messed up, jacked up stuff in your heart, and in the presence of God, you might say, you know what, woe is me, I'm undone. I see what's going on in my heart, and I don't like it. Lord, I want to give it to you, and he says, good, I want to purge you, I want to cleanse you, because I want to send you to do the work that I've called. In the Old Testament, again, 2 Chronicles, They had just gotten the Ark of the Covenant back, which is a representation of Jesus. It's a representation of God's presence. They bring the Ark of the Covenant back. They place it in the temple after Solomon builds the temple that his father David wanted to build. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13 and 14, if you could put that up, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13 and 14, notice this. It said, indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one. That's what we try to get into every Sunday morning. See, the babies praise God too, y'all. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. They were in unison. Lifting up their song, playing instruments, doing all of these things. And all of a sudden, because the hearts were in unison and ministering to the Lord, the glory of the Lord filled the temple and they couldn't. End. You know what I would love? And I'm not talking about weird stuff, folks. Like I know sometimes you be in church. I've been in a lot of weird church services. Anybody ever been in some weird ones? I saw a woman one time yell like a wild Comanche and flop around in the floor. And I swear it, was, it wasn't Lord that time because it scared everybody to death. I thought, man, maybe this woman's manifested a demon. I don't know. So I'm, So again, I'm not talking about weird stuff. I'm talking about true unity in the spirit when we worship God and all of a sudden God begins to show up. Because if I would love one Sunday morning, God to so show up in this place that I ain't even, I can't even, I'm not even capable of getting up here and speaking. All we can do is sit in the presence of God because he's there. You say, well, Clay, is that even possible? I mean, we have church. We do three songs in a sermon. That's what we do. (laughs) I'm basing it on God's Word. I believe that it is possible. I believe God's presence can show up and minister to people in a profound way. That's why we have worship nights. We believe that it's not just about entertaining you with music. We believe it's an opportunity, an invitation for you to come into the presence of God and engage God in a way that you never have before. See, it, there's three things. Psalm 100 verse 4. Let me give you just a few more things. It says, To enter His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Some of you didn't even enter the gate this morning. Some of you, you came in and you were still outside the gate. You didn't give the Lord one thanksgiving, one round of praise. You're still outside the gate of His presence. He says, enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Enter into His courts with praise. See, it's very interesting that we can even sing songs about lifting our hands, but when we get asked to lift our hands, it feels really, really awkward, and we'd rather not do it. Where are we still at? Now, somebody said, well, I don't, really, yeah, I don't think you have to do it that way. Well, if you don't believe the Bible, you don't have to. But, that, I mean, I, I got harsh. <laughs> Every now and then, see, my wife, I tell my wife when I get done preaching, I'm like, honey, did I say anything to hurt anybody? I don't want to hurt nobody, you know. But see, every now and then I get a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, rough around the edges, you know what I'm talking about? But, but here's the thing, when you come into God's presence, you've got to think about this. Do, do I want to give God what he's asking me for? What is he prescribed in worship? And so I come in with thanksgiving. And when I begin to say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you did for me on the cross. I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you for my family. I thank you that you set me free. I thank you that you've given me a new life. All of a sudden you step into the gates. And then all of a sudden you begin to sense God's presence and you begin to sense His nature and His goodness and all of a sudden in a moment you begin to give Him praise for His nature. You say, Lord, You're a healer. Lord, You're a deliverer. Look at the things that You've done and you begin to sing out to Him. And it's not just a song that you're reading off the screen. It's something that's coming from your heart and you begin to enter into His courts. And all of a sudden you're coming into a greater dimension of the presence of God and in that place of presence, perspective changes. Have y'all ever been in a place where you're wondering about something, you're praying about something, you're scared to death about something? I cannot tell you the number of times. I told y'all this summer I had my first panic attack that I've ever had. I don't know. There was a lot of things going on. It was weird. I had a panic attack. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to get through. I had a funeral to preach like the day day after. And I thought, I'm either going to go to the emergency room or I'm not going to make it through this. This is not going to be good. And you know what I did? There was something on the inside of me that said, Clay, you need to go worship God. So I left the crowd. I went home and I got in my living room and I began to pace on the floor. I turned worship music on and I began to declare the word of God out of my mouth. I began to sing praise to him. I declared who he was, that he was healer, that he was all powerful, that he was almighty, that he drove fear out. And as I'm doing this, I feel this thing lifting up off of me. And all of a sudden it's gone. And I sense the peace of God in my heart once again and I had the strength to move on. There is warfare and there's power and praise, y'all. There's, you know, in the Hebrew language, we talk about praise. People say, well, what is praise? What does that even mean? It's about confessing the nature of God. But you know, there are seven words in the Hebrew language that we translate praise. We translate it praise. It's in their praise. Let me give you these seven words. One of them is halal. It's where we get the word hallelujah from. It means praise the Lord, right? Yah is the, is the Lord. It's Yahweh. So halal is to celebrate and be clamorously foolish. Amen. Because sometimes you ever look at somebody and they're like, them people over are just foolish. We used to have a guy in here, he'd dance on occasion, you know, and people would get distracted by him or something like that. You know, but sometimes they get distracted. You remember when David danced before the Lord with all of his might? His wife didn't care much for it, did she? She was a religious person and she struggled with it. But he bore fruit from it and because of that, she never bore fruit again in her life. To celebrate, to be clamorous and foolish. Another one is Yadah. You know what Yadah means? It means lift the hands. That's why we lift our hands to the Lord. Todah means an extension of the hand in adoration, thanking God for things not yet received. That means that I can come in here on a Sunday morning, I say, Lord, right now, I'm praying for my child, and I thank you, Lord, that you're going to bless my children, that they're going to be mighty upon the earth, that they're going to be filled with your Holy Spirit, and I'm thanking Him for things that I've not even yet received. It's a form of praise. Shabbok. I like that one, right? That's a fun word. Shabbok means to shout with a voice of triumph. There's a place in worship where a shout is fitting. To lift your voice and say, Yeah! Somebody, right? There were three people that just said, I'm never coming back right now. <laughs> right then. Three people. they was like, Not coming back here. Boy, it's crazy. Five, Barak, once again, it means to kneel and bless God. This is why every now and then we need to get down in a posture before God. It's why we kneel around the altar. It's why we pray. It's a form of praise. It's a form of worship. Zamar means to play musical instruments to the Lord. Somebody said, well, you know, the instruments ain't in the Bible, isn't that?" No, in the Old Testament it said that a form of praise is to play musical instruments to the Lord. And then finally, to heal, it means to sing praise. So when we're talking about praise, you're talking about all of these things added up in a bodily response, in a vocal response to God where you're opening your mouth. And what does God do? He says, when you do that, I come and dwell among you. I come and dwell among you in the presence of God. Worship and the presence of God. Now, I'm going to finish right here. You know, worship... We often give thanks and we often give praise on some level. But I'm going to argue that we rarely truly enter into worship. We'll praise and we'll experience a little bit of the presence of God. We'll get up and we'll preach. But I'm going to argue that we rarely enter into a position of true worship where Jesus becomes everything. And in that moment, there's a divine encounter with God where there's an exchange. You ever had those moments where all of a sudden it's just you and the Lord and nothing else matters. You don't care about what dude over here in the corner thinks about you. There's, some, there's a place in worship where you no longer care what somebody thinks about what you're doing. You're no, you don't care if you lift your hands because you don't care if the person next to you is looking at you or not. Because you're not thinking about them. You're in worship. When you worship something, the thoughts in your mind, nobody else is there anymore. It's a, you, all of a sudden you're focused in on something beyond them. But let me give you three quick points worship, Number one, true worship is valuing or treasuring of God above all things. It's treasuring God above all things. True worship brings your heart to a place where you say, Lord, you can have all this world, I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. Secondly, true worship is always sacrificial. That means that it's going to cost you something. It costs you something to worship God. David said one time, he said, I'm not going to bring anything to the Lord that doesn't cost me something. In the Old Testament, they worshiped in various forms. Because let me tell you this, worship is not simply the songs that we sing or even kneeling down before the Lord. Worship becomes the very life that we live. It's about putting God first in everything. It's about showing Him His worth. How many of you believe that God is worthy of you opening your mouth and saying, I love you, Lord? He is worthy, y'all. That's where the word worship comes from in the English. It means worth It means showing God that He is worthy and saying, God, You are of ultimate worth. You're greater than anything else in my life and I give You the glory that is due Your name. And there's something that happens when that goes off in our heart. But see, true worship is always sacrificial. In the Old Testament, they offered sacrifices they had feasts that reminded them of what God has done. They would offer tithes and giving to represent God's lordship and His abundance and all of those things. And then lastly, they had worship. And they, and they, they worship with music. All of those things come together in our life so that we can truly give God our lives in worship. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Hebrews 13, 15. It says, Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. See, aren't you thankful that we ain't got to come in here this morning and offer up the blood of bulls and goats? That was the sacrifice that they offered in the Old Testament, but Jesus' blood was shed on the cross. And that sacrifice, that offering, was made once and for all so that you never have to offer another sacrifice. The sacrifice that you have, here's what he says in Hebrews 13, 13, 15. He says, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of your lips that acknowledge His name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. He says, when you open your mouth... You begin to give Him what's on your speech. You begin to praise His name. You begin to acknowledge His name. And then He says, not only that, but you begin to do good to the people around you. You begin to give to them. You give to people out of the generosity of your heart. He says, these sacrifices are an act of worship. When you're good to people, when you share things with people, When you sing praise to God, he's saying that's a place where you're entering into worship. You're offering me the sacrifice. But see, it talks about a sacrifice of praise, but in worship, it never talks about a sacrifice because in worship, you become the sacrifice. In worship, you say, Jesus, I'm yours. Everything I am, everything I have, it's all yours. Every bit of it. And you got to come to a place it's not just about the fact that you got saved years back or whatever. It's about the fact that today, once again, I'm laying down my life. All I want is Jesus. You can take the whole world. You can take everything that could be offered. All my desires, Lord, I'm laying it down. I'm not coming to you, God, because I want to get something out of you. I just want you. I just want you. That's a hard place for us to get. But when we get there as people... I'm telling you, we're going to encounter God. He's going to fill us up with Himself. And this world will be transformed because now we are finally filled with the fullness of who God is. It happens through worship. God wants to meet us in His presence. The last point is that worship is done in spirit and in truth. It means our innermost being gets a hold of this, this reality. And we don't just worship the God that we choose. We don't just want to worship the way Jesus the way that we make him out to be. I want to worship Jesus as he is. I want to worship Jesus as the Bible has taught me that he truly is. That's what I want to do. And I want to offer my life to him. Amen. I want you to bow your heads just where we're at. We're going to pray just for a moment. Just take a moment right there. I want you to ask yourself. Is Jesus really my everything? Have I truly given him my entire life? Have I laid everything down because I'm ready to say I don't want anything else, but I want you, Jesus, above everything else. And that is going to become, I offer my body as a living sacrifice. If you've never started that step with Jesus, if you've not received this salvation that He offers, I want you to take a step today. And I want you to begin just right now by lifting your hand and saying, that's me. I want to take that step. I want to give Jesus my life. I want to lay it down. I want to receive salvation. I want to be saved. Lift your hand high just so I can see it. Where it's, all right, I see you guys. I see you guys. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? I want you to pray with these guys that just lift their hands right there. Right where you're at, I want you to just say this out of your mouth. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I confess my sin to you. Everybody can pray this. I confess my sin to you. And I receive your forgiveness. I know that you love me, Lord. And I receive that love now. I renounce Satan. I no longer walk with him. Because I worship you, Jesus. And your word says that if I believe in my heart that you died on the cross for my sins and that you were raised from the dead and I confess with my mouth that you are now my Lord. You're my everything. That I will be saved. So I give you my life now, Jesus. I ask you to fill me afresh with your spirit. Take everything, Lord. Take it all. In Jesus' name.